In 2010, I started seeing a therapist. You know, now, as I sit here, I think everybody should have a therapist, but back then, I didn't do it of my own accord. I did it when an ear, nose, and throat specialist, who upon looking at my polyp-ravaged vocal cords, told me that I needed to see a therapist to get my anxiety under control, or I might never talk again. Welcome to episode 165 of This Shit Works, a podcast dedicated to all things networking, relationship building, and business development. I'm your host, Julie Brown, speaker, author, and networking coach. And today I'm joined by Nicole Baker Holloman, a coach who helps high achievers ditch perfectionism and, in doing so, allow them to start achieving their goals. Welcome to This Shit Works, your weekly no-nonsense guide to networking your way to more friends, more adventures, and way more success with your host, Julie Brown. Here we go. You know, you might be thinking, well, what do vocal cord polyps and perfectionism have to do with each other? Well... Part of my work with my therapist included keeping a journal of all the things that stressed me out on a daily basis. A portion of my sessions were then dedicated to going through the journal and talking about why these things were stressing me out. A few months after I started working with the therapist, she brought in a specialist to assist with my therapy, because at that point, she was clinically diagnosing me with perfectionist OCD. I don't know why, but I was embarrassed and kind of pissed off. When I got home, Chris asked how my therapy session had gone, and I blurted out, Can you believe they actually clinically diagnosed me with perfectionist OCD? What the fuck? And he just chuckled and said, Yeah, you're a complete perfectionist, and you totally have OCD. He then started to go on and on about why it was obvious and all the things that I do every day and my quirks, etc., etc., After the diagnosis, my therapy shifted to managing it and taming it. And I can honestly say that I am a lot better than I used to be. You know, you don't have to be clinically diagnosed with perfectionist OCD to have it hold you back in business or in networking, which is why I've asked Nicole to join us. She's here to break down the three types of perfectionism, how those types hold us back in different ways, and what we can do to overcome it. Nicole, hello, and thank you for being here. I am so happy to be here. And thank you for sharing that story because, wow, did that just hit me in the heart. Like, just straight Really, because it hit me in the throat. (laughs) I love that. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, um, I was shocked. I was shocked that, well, I mean, it was stress-induced, and I'm sure a lot of the stress was caused by my perfectionism and a combination of perfectionism and OCD together. Which actually is a great way to ask, like, this seems perfectionism and overcoming it and coaching it seems like a very niche area, a very niche space. So how did you start in this space? So I I had a very weird and unique upbringing is what I like to call it. Uh, both of my parents worked for Tony Robbins and other very big personal development gurus for a long, long, long time. And so I grew up attending the seminars. I grew up listening to the audio tapes, walking across fire, you know, seeing people have like those big I am enough moments. And I fell in love with it. However, 
in growing up in the personal development world of like the 80s, early 90s, it was very all or nothing. It was very go after your dreams at no at all costs, like make sure you're hustling. And like, so that was really drilled into me. So that constant pressure to be the best in the room, that constant pressure to uh, play at 135% every single day or bust was really drilled into me to the point where that high achiever perfectionism was as easy as breathing for me. Mm-hmm. Now, however, when I was in uh, like early elementary school, even up to uh, middle school, I started getting pretty severely bullied to the point where I was stuffed into bathrooms. I was hit. I was called names that I will literally never tell another person on the planet or ever call another person on the planet because it was just so uh, kids are so mean. <laughs> it was terrible. Yeah. And one day I was in the bathroom. I was locking the door so like they couldn't get in. And I had this moment where it was, if I am not perfect, if I am not what everyone else needs me to be, if I am not small, quiet, um, complacent, people-pleasing, I will continue getting hurt. And so not only did I have this high achiever, I need to be the best, but then I also had layered on top of it, if you do show up too powerfully, you will get hurt. And this belief system worked as like, you know, opposite ends of a magnet in me for almost 10 years. So flash forward a little ways, just to keep the story short, I um, ended up attending a very, very, very prominent musical theater college for um, in the hopes of going to Broadway, in the hopes of being a musical theater performer. And my perfectionism hit a point where it was so bad. My anxiety was through the roof. I was having daily panic attacks. I was drinking myself to blackout every weekend just to numb any of those like high intense feelings. I was so overwhelmed by the needing to practice that I'd procrastinate and then I beat myself up for procrastinating. It was just a terrible, terrible situation. And finally, my professor sat me down and he was like, you are being asked to leave the school or perform a miracle, basically. And he said it much kinder than that. I'm kind of I'm looking at it through the lens that I heard when I was sitting in his office. And I was shocked. I was like, oh, my God, I worked my butt off to get into this college that is like a fast track to Broadway. And I finally I called my dad, who like he's he's a life coach as well. And I was like, I need to start implementing these things I learned from like growing up. I never implemented them. I always knew them. I always knew how to get that most out of your energy. I always knew how to change your state. I always knew how to get in, you know. Uh, a good mindset, but I was never implementing those tools. And so homeboy coached me like <laughs> nobody's business for, um, oh gosh, it, it was a, it was a while. And so long story short, I ended up graduating, thank God, cum laude, which I'm going to do a little hair toss for, you know, <laughs> but what, what really happened in that moment was I realized how much, what we say in between our ears, what we say in our brain oh, yeah. affects how we show up in the world. Sure. And so I immediately was like, I think I need to go into this coaching world. Like, this is so, this is addicting. I love this feeling. And I started realizing what I really loved doing was coaching that perfectionist mindset. Now, when I say perfectionist, I want to just put a little caveat here because I say perfectionism and a lot of people are like, oh, you know, the, the house needs to be immaculate. You know, yeah. um, like all my to-do lists are perfect and organized. That's a type of perfectionism, mm-hmm. yes. However, it is not perfectionism full stop. I've right. talked to people who have 
like not a single space of clear floor and they are still a perfectionist. Sure. I've talked to people who are disorganized in chaos and they're still a perfectionist. I've talked to people who take messy action like crazy and they are still a perfectionist. What I define perfectionism as is you have unbelievably high standards from your, for yourself. And whenever you fall short, major air quotes there, but whenever you fall short, you believe that you are not enough at your core. And when you do hit the point of, let's say you're wanting to push yourself to 200% today, when you do hit that point, you ask yourself, damn, I could have done 201. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's how I look at perfectionism. Mm -hmm. So now that we've defined it, let's talk about, you say they are, there are three types. And to the listeners, uh, you have a test on your website where you can figure out which one of these you are. And I took the test and we'll get into that afterwards. But let's talk about the three types of perfectionist and perfectionism that exists. Yes. So um, if you want to take the quiz, you can go to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz and you can take this while we're talking about it. But what I learned is that as I was talking to people, I've coached now thousands of perfectionists. I learned that they were each basically in one of three categories. Now, I want to go ahead and say right off the bat, you can be like all three types. You, mm -hmm. It's not like the Enneagram or Myers-Briggs where you were just one type. It's yeah. not like that. Depending on what stage of life you're in, you might lean into one type over the other. We all tend to have a home type, however, one that we tend to go back to. It's a little bit more comfortable. It's a little bit more um, like that home base type. So that's what I want you to think about as I talk about these. So the first type of perfectionist is that high achiever. It's the person who is always saying, um, okay, what's my next goal? What's my next goal? By the time they achieve said goal, they celebrate maybe, maybe for two minutes, maybe if it's a good day. And then immediately it's, a, okay, what's next? Okay, what's next? The kryptonite here, because this, there's a lot of positives to this type. You tend to play big. You tend to take a lot of messy action. You tend to, um, you know, be a lot of those successful people that we would like in a culturally defined success as basically they tend to be the high-achieving perfectionist. And actually, they're very open about being a high-achieving perfectionist. Brene Brown, Tim Ferriss are just two of them, which I love. Mm -hmm. So this person tends to put those really, really high standards on themselves. However, they tend to always say, I'm not doing enough. I can push harder. Um, they tend to almost like self-flagellate or even beat themselves up in order to get to the next level, which is insinuate, or which is um, uh, increasing that belief in our brain that no matter what I do, I am never enough. So that's the high achieving perfectionist. Do you mind? Do you want to go ahead and say which one you are, Julie? <laughs> yeah. So I so I took the test, um, and I came in as the overachiever. Yeah. Yeah. Overachiever, high achiever. I use those interchangeably. Yeah. But yes. Yes. So that's type one. We then have type two, which is the procrastinator. So the procrastinating perfectionists, they still have very high standards for themselves. They tend to look at their goals. And by the way, it's not just one goal. It's like 45 goals at one time that they're trying <laughs> to achieve. Always. I literally have counted with people on said calls. Um, and they're wanting to get to the end result of all of these goals as fast as possible. But what this does is in their brains, this is what differentiates them from the overachiever. What it does in their brains is it like slams down the fight, flight, freeze button. And procrastinators tend to flight, not freeze, flight. Mm -hmm. Because when they flight, they're, ooh, you know what would be more, um, you know, beneficial? I'm not really feeling getting out of my comfort zone today. I'm going to go clean the dishes instead. 
Or, ooh, um, I know I could send that email to pitch myself to this really big company. Or I could post on Instagram or TikTok or like, you know, it's like we always tend to lean into the easier options. Now, I like to always say this because procrastinators hear that they're procrastinators and they're like, oh, my God, that means I'm crazy. And that's so not true because procrastinators are some of the hardest mother effing workers I've ever met in my life. Even more on this podcast. Okay, beautiful. (laughs) Motherfucking workers I've ever met in my life. Even more so than overachievers sometimes. And that freaks overachievers out when I say that. But the reason is, is because they're so, they, uh, meaning the procrastinators, are so busy working on every single little thing, but it's not the things that are actually going to move them forward. And at the end of the day, they are only looking at what they have yet to do to achieve those 47,000 goals of theirs. So that's the procrastinator. And by the way, this is the biggest type by far, almost oh, really? 60%, almost 60% of people who take my quiz, which I think we're just shy of 3,500 now, um, over 60% of people are procrastinators. So keep that in mind. Last mm. but not least is the people pleaser. The people pleasing perfectionist is exactly what it sounds like. We are very familiar with the phrase people pleasing, but what it basically means is I need to be perfect for every single other person. What they're doing is constantly putting other people's opinions thoughts, to-do lists, schedules on a pedestal above themselves. And by doing so, they are probably going to be ending up procrastinating. They're probably going to end up overachieving to make sure they go above and beyond for that project for their boss. But something I see a lot of the times, especially in networking, this is something I'm actively working on right now, is because I tend to be a very people-pleasing perfectionist in networking settings. And that means I'm always asking everyone else about them. I'm always asking and seeing, like, how are you doing? Like, I'm making sure like everyone feels so comfortable and so connected. But what that ends up doing is I'm putting everyone else on this major pedestal above myself. And that means that I'm shying away from talking about my business or I'm shocking, mm-hmm. shying away from, you know, offering them a piece of advice because, oh, oh they're better than me. I don't want to I, I don't want to step on anyone's toes or I don't want to ruffle any feathers. So that's something that I'm actively working on. Um but in those, I, I see that a lot in more social settings is that people-pleasing perfectionist tends to rear its ugly head like mm-hmm. nobody's business. So those are the three types. I mean, I feel like as you were describing these three types, I am it. I wrote down almost on every single one, childhood trauma, childhood trauma, <laughs> childhood yes, trauma. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. I, I laugh because it's so accurate. Like, it's so yeah. accurate. Yes. Like, I once saw this comedian talk about therapy, and I watch a lot of com- comedian stand-up um, comedy shows and comedians because I I like to see how they deliver a line and a punchline, and it helps me in my professional speaking. And there was this one um, uh, comedian, and she was talking about going to therapy, and she was like, "Most par- people go to therapy because they think like, oh, I suck, so I have to go to therapy." But therapy is more about like putting up on a wall all of the reasons why you think you suck and then putting up on another wall all of your childhood traumas and then drawing strings between your childhood trauma and why you think you suck. I know the exact comedian and it's Taylor Tomlinson. Her Netflix special is Look at You. She's amazing. I love her. And yes, I, oh my God, it's, it's so true. Like, and a lot of looking at especially perfectionism because perfectionism anxiety are so interconnected. I don't think there's a single perfectionist out there who doesn't have some level of anxiety. And when we look at anxiety, especially in a perfectionist way, it's because we're always looking forward. 
we're always looking future focused, especially as overachievers. What do I need to accomplish next? Where am I going? Why am I not there yet? Da, 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 da. It's always looking forward, which means we're never looking present. Now, sometimes, you know, people pleasing perfectionists, they'll look backwards, like they'll look at that conversation they had at that recent networking meeting and being like, oh my God, I could have done so much better. That was yes. so bad. I've done that on so many occasions. Look, everybody does it. Everybody Everyone does, does it. it. But what yeah. the issue with perfectionism, it's never looking in the present moment because present moment thinking is where we think of journey. It's where we think of, oh my gosh, I'm growing every single day and I'm enough no matter what. Mm-hmm. Present moment thinking is really the sweet sauce where all of these, I'm going to call them superpowers of these three different perfectionists can yeah. wildly fl- like flourish. But when we're in future or past t- thinking in each of these types, that's when we go into our downfalls for lack yeah. of a better term. So how do we lean into, I mean, if we are these things, and we are, and, and our, in our childhood will inform how we become adults, um, how do we lean into the strengths of these? Because you did mention that there are mm-hmm. some strengths. So There definitely how, are. Yeah. How can we lean into the strengths and maybe pull away some of like the less um, helpful attributes of these things? Totally. So I'm gonna, I'll, I'll work backwards on this one. So people-pleasing perfectionists, their strength, and I, I'm, I'm curious if you agree with me on this, Julie, their strength is that they give so mm-hmm. many fucks about other people. I don't know about you, but the way the world is going, I think we need a hell of a lot more people-pleasers out there. Mm-hmm. Healthy people-pleasers, let me be very specific. Yeah. But we need people giving a damn about other people right now. Right. So that monstrosity of a superpower is not to be understated. Now, where it starts to lean into that superpower over the putting other people on a pedestal constantly is starting the inner work. This is going to be a little bit broad because it's going to be so specific for every person. So in order for me to stop putting everyone else on a motherfucking pedestal above myself, I need to Know that no matter what, my mind, my thoughts, my feelings are just as important as those around me. Right. So when you start doing that, you're doing a great job right now because you're listening to a podcast about learning how to raise your voice up and put it right. on the same level. Um, therapy. You mentioned you did therapy. I just started therapy about, um, oh, golly, less than four months ago. I started it two months before my wedding. That was a mistake. I don't recommend doing that. That was a terrible idea. But I'm glad it was better late than never. I'm really glad I did it. But I learned that I was constantly putting other people's thoughts, opinions, my mother-in-law specifically, above like all these different Mm. um, thoughts and feelings about myself. And in doing so, I started to, in, in doing so, meaning therapy, I started learning how to use those tools, how to stop getting in my own way in that way. So Therapist coaching. Coaching is a great way to also start putting yourself forward. Right. Um, I mean, and if those are not financially available to you right now, go to the library and get a personal development book. Yeah. Podcasts are effing free. I love it. They're so yeah. great. YouTube videos, TED Talks. There's so many different options here. The big thing is just start opening your ears so you yeah. start thinking in a new way. Yeah. So for the procrastinator, You know how I mentioned procrastinators tend to have all these different goals and then they tend to want to drop in at the end achievement of each and every single one of them. And that's what causes overwhelm. We need to diminish the overwhelm because overwhelm is what gets us into procrastination. It's like they're so interconnected. 
So what I always think about is, let's say, um, let's say we're going to do easy math. My goal is here at level 100. Let's say it's, um, you know, launch a book. Let's say I really want to have a book. That way I can hand them out at little network at networking events because that would be so freaking cool to just be able to give those out or like have, you know, um, be on different podcasts, all that kind of stuff. Let's say having a book is so, so, so high on my list of things I want. But that's level 100. And if I think of just dropping, you've written a book. If I just think of dropping straight down at level 100, I would never, ever, ever write a single word on a page. Right. Never. So instead, if I'm here at level zero, again, easy math, I'm trying to get to level 100, I need to ask what's step one. Not what's step two through 99. Yeah. Just what's step one. By chunking things down, that's what diminishes overwhelm. And I say this often and people are like, ah, it can't be that easy. It is. Our brains are not complicated. They are very simplistic in this way. Mm -hmm. So just chunk things down. So you're asking what step one. So Julie, if you're starting a new book, what would step one be? I would reach out to my book writing coach. <laughs> Bingo. Yep. There. And that's so easy. I could do that in an afternoon. Yeah. Let's say it's launch a website. Um, I've never done it before. You know, maybe I, this is brand new information to me. I have no idea what to do. Step one would be Google how to start a website. Like right. it's so simple. And yet we get so overwhelmed by trying to jump too far ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So ask yourself, what is step one that diminishes the overwhelm, which diminishes procrastination? But I don't want to, when we talk about the procrastinator, I don't want to forget to maybe mention what is a strength of the procrastinator. Thank you. Yes. Oh my gosh. So one of the things that procrastinators do so well. Like I mentioned, they have 42 goals at any given moment. Mm -hmm. They are some of the biggest dreamers. And I'm not saying like the realistic dreamers like us high achievers tend to be. Like we tend to be very realistic dreamers. They tend to be big dreams, but very realistic. For procrastinators, they have these dreams that literally like I can, when we're talking about it, I can see their body expanding. Mm. I'm not like a super woo-woo person. I like, I like neuroscience. I like the hard, hard science behind mm -hmm. this stuff. But you can literally see energy around them moving mountains for them. Yeah. But they get in their own way. So the big thing is just that stopping of the getting their own way with the procrastination because then that expansion, it moves so quickly. Yeah. I have seen procrastinators manifest 10-year dreams in six weeks. Mm -hmm. I'm dead serious. It is amazing. The only, the, the big things are just getting out of their own way with procrastination and believing that they can take small steps forward. A lot of people think procrastination is like a fixed trait within them. Like, I am a procrastinator. They make it part of their identity. Mm. Please, for the love of God, stop that. It is not a part of your identity. It is not a fixed emotional state of being. It is something that is fluid and it is a habit. You can overcome any habit and rewrite it. Full stop. Mm -hmm. Then, overachiever. Yeah. Overachievers. We get shit done <laughs> we get shit done we're the people of the companies or, or we're honest what am i saying we're the entrepreneurs we have right. our own companies like we run our own companies we change the world we are the people who tend to you know steve jobs we come up with these like groundbreaking ideas which is really really cool but like i mentioned earlier if you're constantly hating yourself to the next level you're gonna i, I always say you need to start enjoying the life you're working so hard for yeah. so how do we do that self-freaking compassion but the issue with self-compassion and high achievers and overachievers is we equate loving ourselves you know the self-care do, 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 with slowing down 
Mm. becoming mediocre and becoming complacent. Right. I hear almost on a daily basis, well, if I if I slow down, if I start enjoying my life, if I start, you know, finding gratitude in my day-to-day things, if I start enjoying or like looking at the goals and feeling proud of myself, I'll lose momentum. Right. I'll and I say fire. Yep. Bullshit. Yeah. Bullshit. That momentum, that fire, it becomes a bonfire when you start giving yourself some effing credit for how far you've come. Yeah. Because when you're saying, look at me, I'm so good. I like, look at me getting out of my comfort zone again. I'm so awesome. Like, look at me go. Like, we start to enjoy, uh, Sydney, we start to believe that at our core, we are enough and we can still reach for more. If I am enough, that does not negate the fact that I can still reach for more. Like right. those two things are not mutually exclusive. And yet us overachievers tend to put them in two different boxes. Yeah. And when I think about, so now that I'm thinking about it from a networking lens, when I mm-hmm. look at the three different types and how it might affect you networking, I think, okay, overachievers think I do everything on my own. I don't need other people. Uh, yes. <laughs> um, and then procrastinators will wait till they're perfect. will wait till their resume is right. They're at the right job. They have the right title. They're at the right age or like whatever to start networking because they don't want to go into a room in which they feel like they don't belong. And the people pleaser is not understanding that, yes, you give. You always give into relationships, but you can't be taken advantage of. Like there needs to be at some point a reciprocity reflex that comes into the networking um, relationship. And so I could see how these three types could really hinder you from creating an effective network or using a network the way that you should. Yes. Well, I'm going to add to the overachiever uh, of this because, for instance, um, what is this? Three weeks ago, I was at a podcasting conference here in Denver, and I was so excited for this event. But a few days beforehand, I started realizing that I was going into old childhood patterns of I need to be the best. I need to be the loudest in the room. I need to, which is funny because it's so at odds of that people pleasing perfectionist. You can see the dichotomy there. But I was putting unbelievable amounts of pressure on myself to be, be loud, network, get the most out of this event. And it was to the point where it was not empowering anymore. It was me squeezing and white knuckling the life out of any joy or any yeah. uh, like learning I would have at this event. So I actually was, I was on a call with my therapist and she knows how to call me out immediately yeah. on my old personal development bullshit. Like I, I believe in finding the gray area of personal development and I grew up very black and white personal yep. development, which I think I is- learned the gray area in therapy because I'm a very yes. black and white person as well. We perfectionists tend to be so. Really. Yeah. But when we, when her and I were talking, she was like, do you need to be the best person at this conference in order to get the most out of it? And I was like, my immediately gut was yes, of course, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And she was like, what's the goal of this conference? And I was like, it's to learn. It's to go to the sessions. It's to sit back and enjoy me being a little freaking Ravenclaw and taking notes and like actually right. like enjoying the process. She was like, that doesn't sound like you're trying to be the best in the room. That sounds like you're leaning into your already natural strengths of being an intelligent person. Mm-hmm. And I was like, God damn it. Yeah. So yeah. I had to remind myself every single day and sometimes way more than once a day at this conference. Right what's the goal here? What's the goal here? What's the goal here? It's not to be the best person. It's not to be the loudest person. It's not to make sure everyone knows your name by the end of it. Instead, it's to learn. 
And in, and in that process, I ended up making connections that now people are coming on my show. I ended up making connections of um, uh, people who have these monster podcasts out there who are now listening to mine. Like, I mean, literally that came because I started actually going to this thing, leaning into who I am at my core rather mm-hmm. than this like front that I felt like I had to put on. Yeah. Congratulations on going to a conference because they're one of my favorite networking tools and yeah. business development tools and career development tools that I tell all of the people people I coach is like, let's find a conference for something that, you know, related to your job that you are interested yes. in that is in a place where you get to talk to collaborators and peers and learn and build a network. So kudos to you for doing that. And I hope you keep doing that. You keep going to conferences. Um, because me as a networking coach, they're one of the they're one of the best tools that we have. I agree. I agree completely. Yeah. But they do, they are, they can cause a lot of anxiety for people. I have a person in my network who texted me in the middle of a conference saying how out of place she felt and she didn't think that she belonged there. And I, I got on a call and I said, tell me about this conference. Tell me the people who are there and then tell me what your role is also in this industry. And by the end of it, um, you know, that call, she was completely happy. She was like, oh my God, I never even looked at it from this side of what my role is here. And she ended up having the the best time at that conference. Um, I'm not going to say what it was because I haven't gotten her approval to like talk about it, but totally. it was, she was freaking out. And I was just like, okay, well, let's just look at it from a different perspective. And once we did that, the whole room opened up to her as a place for her to feel comfortable and network. So, yes. I, I couldn't agree. And actually, uh, I, I like to get vulnerable as a perfectionist coach and share my own imperfections. Um, day one of the conference, I attended a bunch of panels that were these like podcast legends. You know, this was a big podcasting conference. It's called Podcast Movement. If you are a podcaster, please, for the love of God, attend. It was incredible. But day one, um, I was like, I'm going to go listen to all the <laughs> being in my little high achiever self. I'm going to go listen to all like the top dogs and learn from them at their level 100 and I can get blah, 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 blah. And I ended up attending session after session where they said, if you don't have X amount of downloads and it was this like astronomical number, mm-hmm. then you can't monetize, you can't grow or did it like it was not very, is it, it was bullshit. It was absolutely not true. Total it was all bullshit. these like white buff guys who've been podcasting for like 12 years. Yeah. And I got in my car at the end of the day and I called my husband and I broke down yeah completely broke down because I was like what am I doing wrong I'm not enough I'm never gonna grow I've been doing this for four years I can't get it um the irony is now I've actually just this past week started a second podcast because I don't know how to hobby um but the the big thing that just kept repeating over and over in my head is well you're not there therefore you suck yeah forgetting that they didn't get there just like on day one they've been doing this for 12 years. No. And also that there's always disruptors, always disruptors and outliers in every single, in every single industry. So if somebody says, ever says, this is the only way to do it, they're full of shit. And even when I am on stages in front of thousands of people saying, these are, I say, these are my five best networking tools. This is as worked, what has worked for me. I can yes. only give this keynote from my perspective. And if my tools work for you, 
please take them. And if they inspire you to come up with another tool, please do that because I'm not you. Thank you. Thank you on behalf of every perfectionist in the effing world. Like, thank you for doing that because like, again, we hear things very black and white. I grew up under Tony Robbins. He said you have to get four, like this is way back when he was like, I only get four hours of sleep a night. And therefore my brain, my brain said, you can only get four hours of sleep a night. I, I do not function under eight hours of sleep. God help me if I ever have children. Like I do not function under eight hours of sleep. And because of that, I was holding myself to this measuring stick of someone who does not work the same way that I do. Right. And who has a very different level of teens, of hours. Like I I really hate the quote. Um, uh, everyone has the same 24 hours in the day, even Beyonce. Yeah. Because because Beyonce has a team of people that do things for her in those 24 hours. Exactly. Like <laughs> me, I, you know, I'm, I still feel like I'm a baby business a lot of the times, even though mm-hmm. I've been doing this for five years. Like I don't have the same team that Beyonce does. I don't have the same Definitely. team that Tony Robbins or Tim Ferriss or Brene Brown. I don't have those same, yeah. those same teams. And if I hold myself to their standards of pumping out content of, um, you know, holding, uh, conferences that have 500,000 people at it, right. like I can't do that. Because if I do, I will never measure up and I will continue yeah. always beating myself down. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that's actually a great place to end. Um, I think this, the way we've wrapped it up with is just like the one way is not the only way. You mm-hmm. know, I mean, we have to understand that as entrepreneurs, as business people, as people who achieve, try to achieve success, like there's always multiple ways of achieving. Yes. Um. So I think you mentioned it in, before, but I want you to say it again. Where can people find you um, online to take this test to figure out? Maybe they've already said, or I, or I already know what one I am, but you do have, you know, so what's great is on your website when you take this test and you find out what you are, there is a, so what now? So what can yes. we do now section that comes after that? So where can people find that? You can go to lifecoachbaker.com forward slash quiz. And it's all right there. It's a hundred percent free. Um, and join the 3,500 people who have already taken it. And if you think you already know, I've had people take it and be like, oh, I thought I was this. But then I, you know, read the description for the people pleaser. And I was like, oh, crap, I'm actually the people pleaser. So so know that it it, it might change. And also you might change. You, I was right. a people pleaser and now I definitely resonate more with the overachiever. Um, I also have my own podcast, which is called Imperfect Success. Um, probably where you're listening to this podcast, it's on there too. So you can <laughs> check it out there. And I'm on Instagram primarily at Life Coach Baker. Um, and I post a bunch of funny videos about how ridiculous we are as perfectionists, as well as little tips and tricks to overcome perfectionism. Perfect. Okay, everyone, go there, do all that stuff. Nicole, thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you so much. Thank you. This is a blast. So one of my biggest takeaways from this interview that you might have missed was when Nicole said that she knows people with perfectionism who also struggle with it and they aren't meticulous about being organized or having a clean desk or everything in their life is perfect. You know, a lot of times I think we look at ourselves and we have thoughts like, well, I can't be a perfectionist because everything in my life, or at least the things I can control, aren't quote unquote perfect. So, I mean, that just struck me. So there are so many people out there who might be suffering from one of these perfectionist traits and not even fully realize it. 
You know, if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, it was obvious that I was going to be the overachiever perfectionist. It goes along with all the other personality traits that have gone, you know, tests that have gone through on this show with you. Life path numbers, enneagrams, everything else. And you will say, therapy did a lot to help me. I I don't think that I'll ever not have that perfectionist tendency or or OCD for that matter. But those two things aren't as crippling for me as they used to be. And part of being able to deal with it and manage it was understanding it and being diagnosed with it. So I would suggest heading on over to Nicole's website and take the test to find out what type you are if you are one. And then, you know, embrace it for for the good it does for you, but then also look at it and try to figure out how it might be holding you back and how you can work through it. Okay, now on to the drink of the week, which is, perfect name, the Balanced Perfection Manhattan from Cocktail Contessa, who states that a perfect Manhattan isn't just a description. It's a cocktail in and of itself. Rather than the usual combination of whiskey, vermouth, and bitters, a perfect, this balanced, perfect Manhattan uses equal parts of sweet and dry vermouth, creating a cocktail that's slightly drier, a little less sweet, but still focuses on the whiskey. Here's what you're going to need. One ounce of bourbon. It calls for Henry McKenna single barrel bottled in bond. And, you know, I've actually been to this distillery and this whiskey used to be off allocation, which meant that you used to be able to get it really easily. And now because it's um, on allocation, you can't get it as easily. And it's kind of super expensive. When it's like one week, it was $35. And the next week, it was like 100 bucks. So it's ridiculous. So just use whatever, you know, bourbon you want. And then one ounce of rye, she calls for Wilderness Trail rye or Willet three-year-old rye. Again, I've been to the Willet distillery. Willet is rather expensive. So, you know, use a rye that you like. Half ounce sweet vermouth, a half ounce dry vermouth, five drops of spiced cherry bitters, five drops of orange bitters, and then an orange peel and cherry for garnish. So combine the whiskeys, the vermouths, and the bitters in a mixing glass and fill with ice. Stir until chilled and well combined, at least 30 seconds, and then strain into a chilled martini or coupe glass and garnish with that orange and the cherry. I gotta tell you, I might have mentioned it in a previous uh, podcast last winter, but last winter was like my winter of Manhattan. Manhattans. It was my go-to drink. And I'm super excited that we're kind of getting into the cooler weather. Um, and now I have a whole new Manhattan uh, recipe to try. All right, friends. That's all for this week. If you like what you heard today, please leave a review and subscribe to the podcast. Also, please remember to share this podcast with your friends to help it reach a larger audience. If you want more Julie Brown, you can find my book, This Shit Works, on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. You can find me on LinkedIn at Julie Brown Beauty. Just let me know where you found me when you reach out. I'm Julie Brown underscore Beauty on the Instagram, or you can just pop on over to my website, juliebrownbd.com. Until next week, cheers, guys. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss a tip. And remember, you can unapologetically be who you authentically are and still be wildly successful. That's a fact. See you next week on This Shit Works.